invite your prayers. This is a not a tricky sermon. Most of you could preach it yourself. But it is a sermon that has broad application, universal application. Every one of us, my prayer has been that every one of us would hear something in this message and be, um, they used to call it in Texas, hit upside the head um, with a, a powerful message uh, that the Lord wants us to know. So, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would always be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, um, I'm Dave Rosebear, I'm the priest in charge here, and on Sunday mornings it's a pleasure for me always to lead worship, but it's a double pleasure to be able to open up God's Word. And Dean did such a marvelous job last week focusing our attention on this pivotal chapter called Matthew 18. Now, many of you in church backgrounds know that that is the, the um, chapter that you use for church discipline and things like that. Less so in the Anglican church. We're a little bit different. Our polity is, is, is different. But there's no getting away. It's a pivotal chapter because Jesus is setting the scene for how people should get along. And thankfully, he does a number of things. He he actually declares without any hesitation that children who in the ancient world were just regarded as, you know, small, you know, nearly human beings, children are to be protected above all costs. It's really one of the great statements and I think set the tone for the development of Western civilization for the, last, for the next 2,000 years. Uh, so much so that I didn't know this would happen to me when I signed up to be priest in charge here. I get an email from the staff that if you're going to be working with us, you've got to take this child safety inventory exam protocol. And I, I've been a priest for 40 years. I've never done anything like it. Uh, we had it at Christ Church, but I was sort of grandfathered in. Not here. And I sat and I listened to the whole thing and I took the test and I passed 100% and I sent it back in and I just was so thankful that the church is taking seriously the ministry of Jesus, particularly on this point, that at all costs we protect children. And then Jesus goes on, as we heard last week, to protect relationships uh, the way we get along with each other. And what happens when two people are at odds? And Dean did a great job with that. I'm not going to uh, go over that. But then there's this moment where Peter, Peter's the kind of guy that never sees a puddle he doesn't want to jump in, okay? And he sees this puddle, an opportunity to get some clarity about, okay, what happens when people sin against each other? I mean, really, how many times do I have to forgive the person who has offended me? And Peter says, so how many times do I forgive someone? Seven? Now, what Peter's doing is, in Peter's mind, as a Jew in the ancient world, he knows that the Old Testament said three times. Three times you get, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, shame on me, and then you're out. And Peter says, double it and add one. 
we'll go from three to seven. Is that good? And Jesus blows his categories. Jesus hits him, as I said, upside the head and says, no, 77 times. And what's interesting is that when this same story is told in other gospels, it's a different number. Seven times seven in one gospel, which was 49. But the whole idea here is, like I saw in this um, cartoon a, a couple of weeks ago, um, forgive. It's a lot easier than math. See that? Forgive, because it's easier than math. Math is hard. Stop counting, in other words, Peter. Don't count as, because this is not what it's about. And you can get the feeling that Peter is somewhat, you know, kind of a prove it. What are you talking about? Because then Jesus launches into a parable. Now, I want to tell you what a parable is. It has nothing to do with the word parabola, but it does the same thing. Remember your trigonometry, your geometry? I don't. I had to look it up. But a parabola is a line that comes from infinity and touches us at a single point. You might say hits us upside the head and then goes back into infinity. That's a parabola, right? And this is what a parable does. Jesus is clearly teaching us something that is going to make us get shocked. It's going to hit us. And then we'll be left alone to consider what do we do with this profound truth? It's a good, it's a question. And this is where I, I want, you're going to have to do the application in your own life, but I want to present to you what Jesus did here. He tells this parable, like a parabola, and he says, look, there was this really wealthy guy. And he was owed by a person 10,000 talents. Well, people want to know how many, you know, what is that? Well, again, you can't really count because in the ancient world, 10,000 was the highest number they got to, okay? There wasn't a number to go beyond 10,000. So, I mean, if you want to do the math on it, it's 375 tons of gold, okay? But we could substitute the word gazillion, that this man was owed gazillion dollars by this fellow. And it was time to call the note. And so the man says, uh, pay what you owe. And the guy says, I, I, I don't have it. Then away with you in prison. And the man pleads with his life. And the rich man says, okay, forgiven. We'll just cancel the debt. And once he cancels the debt, then the guy goes out to the mall, and he meets somebody that owes him two cents. And he grabs him by the throat, and he says, you pay what you owe. And the guy says, I, I, don't, I don't have it. And then the, the, the man who was just forgiven all of this turns to the man who, is, who owes him two cents and says, you know, I've had it with you. I'm throwing you in prison, and you're going to rot there until this is paid off, which, it, of course, would never be paid off. 
some people hear about this and they send a message to the wealthy man, the gazillion dollar man. And they say, you wouldn't believe what happened. And they tell the man and he summons the man who was forgiven. And he says, are you kidding me? I forgave all of this and you won't forgive that? I'm done with you. And he throws him into prison until he can pay his debt. Actually, the, the real word is he throws, he gives them over to the jailers. The, that's the polite word. <laughs> They're actually torturers, okay? He throws them, he gives them over to the torturers until he can pay his debt. That parable should hit you upside the head because it ought to bring a question into your mind as it undoubtedly did with Peter and it has for millions and millions since. What have I been forgiven by this gazillionaire? What is so massive in terms of my relationship with obviously this godlike figure that I would owe this much that I myself could not even pay that debt. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how long I worked, what is this really? And who is that guy that he, that he can have that much money and then who am I that I have spent it so profligately? And the other question that you might want to ask is, who have I put in jail for what they owe me? Who are the people that I could enumerate from my past who have done something wrong to me, and I just grab them by the throat, and I won't let them go? That's the parable. It ought to stun you with its simplicity and its clarity. And it ought to ask, invite us to ask, what should I do? How do I, number one, respond to this incredible freedom of being released from the debt that I have drawn against this gazillionaire? And how do I go and let go of the people who have done minor infractions, comparatively speaking, against me in my life? Peter didn't know what he was getting into when he stepped in that puddle. And Jesus sets it out. Now, I want to just suggest to you that there's, there's so many takeaways, but I would just want you to imagine the world of the parable for a moment. The, the first takeaway for me is that I have to recognize 
that I live in someone else's world. That there is someone, a gazillionaire, who was here before I got here and will be here long after I leave, who apparently owns everything. There's not a chance I could ever live up to the vast wealth of this person. I live, this is the takeaway, it's a takeaway of humility. I live in someone else's world. I don't own the things that I think I own. They were all here when I got here, and I'm just passing through, and I'll leave it all behind. That's kind of sobering given where we are in our culture and our consumer-driven mentality because it means that you and I are not the center of the world we think we are. There's someone who is greater than us, more wealthy than us, more vast than us, to whom we are accountable. One of the things I love about preaching is not just this moment here where I get to share the Word of God, but the preparation of preaching because it makes me go study and, and investigate and research and run down rabbits on the, on the Internet. And I came across this cartoon, Seven Stages of Life According to the Seven Dwarfs. And if you look at it, everyone, every man, every woman as well, is on this continuum from the time we are born when we're sleepy to those early pre-adolescent years when we're just plain happy, to those teenage years when we're a little dopey, to those early college and 20s when we're bashful, and then our professional years, and then that sneezy world where we just sort of get our nose runs all the time, and we end up being grumpy. I know where I'm on that continuum. Um, I'm, uh, I'm between the last, or the second to the last and the last. And you know how I know that? I can't hear my blinker in my car. This is, this is astonishing to me. In the last three or four years, my hearing has just gone to pot. I've had it checked. There's nothing they can do about it, but there's just one little, I don't know, uh, tone that I can't hear. And it is embarrassing. Because no matter who I'm driving with, my wife can hear it. My grandkids in the back can hear it. And they will say, gee, daddy, the blinker's on. Gee, daddy, the blinker's on. When we're in caravan I'm, and I'm ahead, I get a text from my grandchildren. Gee, daddy, the blinker's on. Or I'm driving along and I say, I better put my blinker on. And I, and I look, it's been on. And I think, I'm one of those people. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Those 
old people that drive around with their blinker just going and they don't know it's on? That's me now. I'm on that, well, I guess maybe grumpy side. And yet, I know I'm just passing through. I can't, honestly, at my age 68, I can't see the end. But I can see where I could see the end. And I know that one day, all of this will be in the rearview mirror. And there is a time in life to recognize that it's really not about my relationship with the things that I have and my stages and my youthfulness. It's about my relationship with God. Are we good this way? And I think Jesus is making this point. That if you think about your life, you think about it in terms of your relationship with this incredibly powerful, wealthy, amazingly righteous person who was willing to forgive a gazillion dollar debt. And as you get older, this is one thing I love about your church is it's intergenerational. There's lots of kids and there's people my age, there's people older, people younger, but uh, I know that as we get older toward the end of the spectrum, we can look back on our life and answer a question that was that's given to us by Jesus in this parable, which, which is, is there somebody that I've put in prison? Is there some relationship I had with someone who done me wrong and I just got that person by the throat? And what Jesus is saying here is that the only way to forgive and forget and to be free is to embrace and hold fast the forgiveness that God gives to us. You may want to forgive. We all need to forgive. But the methodology of doing that is actually to embrace the forgiveness God has given to us. You can't forgive someone unless you embrace your own indebtedness to God for the life that you have. That's why Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's sequential. That's the first thing I take away. And the second thing I can take away from this amazing parable about forgiveness is how hard it is to do what I just said we should do. How difficult it is to extend forgiveness to another person who has hurt us so terribly. In, 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 a, way, in a way, it's not our fault because we're hardwired this way. That's what 
or the sin nature does, we tend to think that from the moment we're born that all of this is for me and I can live as the center of my own world for as long as I live and then when it's not, it's, not, it's over and it's, it's, I'm gone. Now, I can't remember, honestly, because I've, I've preached at this church once two years ago, and somewhere in the back of my mind, I might have told you this, but I want to put up another graphic of a book that I have loved reading. And you don't have to read it. I mean, welcome to download it, of course, but um, I want to tell you what the book says. The book is basically dividing the church or believers into two kinds of people, dog people and cat people. And I don't mean to be offensive to dogs or cats, but I just want to, or cat people, dog people. But I want to describe to you what the division is. The dog says, you, to the owner, the master, you love me, you feed me, you provide for me, you care for me. You must be God. That's the dog. The cat says, you love me. You feed me. You provide for me. You care for me. I must be God. That's the difference. That's what's hired, hardwired into us. The thought that we get the right to withhold forgiveness because someone has offended us when, in fact, we have been forgiven from the top. I want to prove it to you and tell you a story and ask you to just imagine this road sign that many of us have seen. Um, over our life as drivers. There is, this is the description of the parable. This is another parable. You're driving along. This happened to me a couple of months ago. Driving along, and you see a sign, lane ends, merge left. And you know that you're going to have to go over this way, my left. But you see, this traffic has already started to slow down. The traffic in the right lane is kind of free. So you kind of say, well, that sign doesn't apply to me just yet. And so you keep going. And the, the traffic cones kind of edge you over. And you're kind of oblivious, or you pretend to be oblivious. And at some point down the road, when, when this lane is stopped and you're running out of room, then you put on your blinker, and you look to the person on your left, and you sort of, please, let me in. And they'll tap the brakes, hopefully. They have mercy on you, and you get inside. And then, And then the punchline hits because someone else on your right now is coming. And they put their blinker on and they want to get 
in front of you. And the question is, do you see where I'm going with this? Do you slow down and extend them the mercy that you were given? Or do you ram them and keep them out of the way? That's the choice in front of us. And the Bible is telling us whatever God has given you, that you give to another. We say it sometimes, and we will hear, all things come of you, O Lord, and we give it all back to you. But Jesus is adding a little bit more refinery to it, and he's saying, all these things come from you, God. Now, give it to others. If forgiveness comes from God and you embrace it, give it to others. That's the gospel right there. The gospel, out living or living out the gospel. As these things come from God, we live them out into the world. See, there's this new economy when Jesus talks about the kingdom. That whatever God has given you, you give to another. And that's the only way you, that we can give to others forgiveness is if we receive what God has given for us. I want to close here by telling you that this is a, a version, I think a amplified version of the golden rule. You know, the golden rule is whatever you would have them do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This golden rule is do unto others what God has done unto you. That is a completely different way to live. That's being so in tune with God this way that we live a different storyline this way. You see what I mean? See how that sort of changes the equation in our life? We don't get to walk around holding grudges. We don't get to be grumpy and mean-spirited toward others. We don't, bitterness is something that should never be in the sight of Christian's heart. Because whatever God has given us, when we receive it, he's called it to give to others. I want to illustrate this with a story that I have thought a lot about and I've loved it. Um, so many times telling it. I, I, my wife and I were friends with um, a woman, Brenda knows this woman, Brenda Markno, Vicki Warren. And um, she's a dear friend. My wife always thought she looked like Snow White. Um, always. And um, Vicki was having a birthday. This is maybe 10 years ago or so. Vicki was having a birthday and she got 
my wife got a bunch of people together to celebrate the party. And um, we got online and found a Snow White outfit. And we gave it to Vicky. And like women do, she changed clothes. She went in and she walked out in this Snow White outfit. And they had the party. I didn't know that, that the party had a next, what a, a, was like a progressive stop. This was a party in sort of mid-morning. Then they were all going up to the mall to the Cheesecake Factory for lunch. And so they go. And Vicky wore her Snow White outfit to the mall. I didn't go. I never would have gone on something like that. But what I heard later on from my wife and from others is the transformational effect of how a character from another world and another storyline can have on the world around us. From the moment Vicky gets out of the car, people look at her and they recognize there's another story that she's living out. There's another set of values that she has. There's another world that she represents. She took, she took on the burden of being a character in a different storyline. One that is transformative and will take us who live in this world to a new place. And that's the role of the Christian. I'm not talking about make-believe. Make I'm talking about faith. That if you're a Christian, you're a citizen of a different country. And there's a different currency. And there's a different language. And there's different values and priorities that you wave a different flag. You hear a different drumbeat. You raise your children in a different way. You, you pause your life from time to time. And you close your eyes and you bow your head and you thank God whom you cannot see, but who you know believes that you believe in. You know you have faith in God. And you say, thank you, God, for what you've given me. And help me to be worthy of the love that you've given for me. And give me that love to others as I release them from those prisons that I have built for them. You see, it's, it's not a world of make-believe. It's a world of faith. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful for your son Jesus and the clarity of his teaching. As Christians, we ask that we would Bring these truths into our mind and help us live day by day representing an entirely new storyline where you are Lord, Master, King of all things. And I pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.